are almost to the end of the section known as the Psalms of Asaph. Even though these are all listed as Psalms of Asaph, it is not clear that the Asaph of the time of David was necessarily the writer of all of these psalms. The psalm we looked at last week, Psalm 79, being a good example that it was certainly not that Asaph that wrote them all because those events occurred too far in the future to uh, have been the same Asaph of the time of David. And so even though uh, it's attributed to Asaph, perhaps it's a different Asaph that came later, Perhaps it's someone from the family line of Asaph. Perhaps there's something about the style or the content or the way it's put together uh, that's in the same kind of way of the Psalms of Asaph. Uh, it's hard to know, uh, but it's clear that it was not the same Asaph that wrote some of these Psalms, but uh, it's unclear as to exactly what that uh, superscription li linking that to Asaph means. And so uh, tonight in Psalm 80... It's hard to know exactly the situation, what was going on at the time this psalm was written. And as is often the case, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's usually helpful to us, and it's great when we can say, hey, this psalm applies to this situation. However, most of the time, even not knowing what may have been going on at the time that it was written, we can still find application in our life because the point really is it's a hard time and God's people are calling out to him. That's summing up Psalm 80 very lightly. And so in that sense, we could find this to be applicable to our lives on many occasions. So let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that you would just hide me behind the cross, that I would preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you that your word would be good for us tonight. God, it is good if we listen to it. And so, God, I pray that something we read of your word, God, will be what does the work in our heart and life today. So meet us where we are. Help us to hear what we need to hear and help us to, to grow in it and take it with us when we leave tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 80. The superscription reads, For the choir director, according to the lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Uh, now, the lilies there is a something we see in the superscription in a handful of these psalms. As is usually the case, it's hard to know exactly what that means. Perhaps that was a tune or something to do with music. Uh, that helped help the audience who was listening to this or singing this or reading this to kind of have some idea maybe what this went with or how this went. But a lot of these superscriptions, it's really hard to know. And you'll see that if you study in the commentaries. A lot of scholars are, are not really in agreement as to exactly uh, what some of these titles mean. Uh, if, you, if you have, some of your translations may not say the lilies. It may say Oh, I can't remember the word. It's like shanamanim or something like that, which which simply means the lilies. So if your if your translation has that long crazy word, it it means the lilies. That's what that means. And so, all right, verse one. Listen, shepherd of Israel. Now let's pause there for a second because we've been seeing these these mentions of shepherd 
we've, we saw it last week at the end of Psalm 79, the mention of, of, of shepherding the sheep. That is, God's people are the sheep. God is the shepherd. Uh, in our Sunday school class, we've, we've seen some references to the shepherd. And so these little, little references of the shepherd are sprinkled all throughout the Old Testament. And, and I'll repeat this, even though we, I know I've said it in the last couple of weeks, probably multiple times, but when we hear the word shepherd, I think that that should, should throw up our flag and, and cause us to think about Jesus, who is the good shepherd. And we are the sheep, and Jesus is the good shepherd, and, and we need to remember that when we see that type of language. I think it is good, and it is natural, and it is right for us to think about that. When we, when we see God's people Israel here, uh, they, are, they are calling out to their shepherd. They're calling out to the Lord to listen to them, to hear them, to lead them that they are seeking to follow him. Now, as is often the case with Israel, they have gotten themselves into trouble because of some sin that they have committed, whether it's idol worship or disobedience. And so oftentimes, the sheep of God have not followed the shepherd. But at least here in this psalm, they still acknowledge and realize who the shepherd is. And, and, and just the just the language of calling out to the, to the shepherd here show that the sheep is seeking the shepherd. And sometimes those of us who are God's children today, who may already be a sheep in the fold of God, sometimes we stray from the shepherd, but we need to seek out the shepherd. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Listen, shepherd of Israel, who leads Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned on the cherubim, rise up. Now, here we see this language of the cherubim. Now, these cherubim, uh, you may remember in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were, 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 were uh, taken from the garden, it's the cherubim who guarded the entrance so they could no longer have access to the garden and the tree of life. You may also remember that when the Ark of the Covenant was built to the exact specifications which God called them to build it, on top of the ark were cherubim whose wings met in the middle. And in 1 Samuel 4, 4, I believe, uh, it says that God dwelt there in that spot, in the middle of the cherubim. Now, this certainly, when we think about the tabernacle and then the <coughs> temple, that's where God would dwell among his people. That's where the high priest would go. That in and of itself is all, all foreshadowing Jesus Christ and pointing us to him. But when we see this language here, you who sit enthroned on the cherubim, uh, the idea here is, is, okay, in the dwelling of God. This is the dwelling place of God. They know where God dwells. They seek God. Now, it's not that God only resides on the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant, praise the Lord, or else we would never get to be in his presence unless we could find the Ark of the Covenant. But, but in those days, that's where God would dwell with his people. That's where God resided in a sense. Uh, this is, in some way, I guess we could say, uh, 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 figurative language. Of course, God resides in heaven. God is everywhere. Uh, but here we see this language about God enthroned on the cherubim. And what does he say? He says, rise up. They're in trouble. They need God, their shepherd, to rise up, to come to their aid. Uh, before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, rally your power and come to save us. Now, you noticed uh, in verse 1, it says, who leads Joseph like a flock. And then we see the mention of Ephraim, Benjamin, of, and Manasseh. I, I, I think that probably 
these tribes are this is just simply language referring to to Israel as a whole or to God's people as a whole. Now, it's certainly possible that there could be some significance to these individual tribes, but but maybe it's just simply a way of saying God's people. It's also interesting. You may note uh, if you go back and you look at the at the at the at the sons of Jacob, the the sons of Israel, aka Israel, the tribes of Israel. Uh, Rachel was his favored wife, and Rachel gave birth to two sons, one of which was Joseph, and the other was Benjamin. And the two sons of Joseph that we see recorded in Genesis are Ephraim and Manasseh. So it's interesting that all four of these that are named are all all from. They're all related. That is, Benjamin and Joseph are brothers, and then Manasseh and Ephraim are children of Joseph. Now, maybe there's some greater significance to that than I than I know. Uh, that might be something fun if you're looking for some homework this week. You may want to you may want to study that. Uh, but at the very least, I think what God's uh, word is saying here is that uh, God is saying uh, the people are saying, "God help your people," and and it specifically names some different tribes, but. It's not uncommon to see, you know, one 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 tribal name used in reference to all of Israel. We see that from time to time throughout the Old Testament. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be odd here if if listing these few names was simply another way of saying God deliver your people. Uh, in verse three, restore us, God. Look on us with favor, and we will be saved. That's what the desire is, right? restoration. That's what you and I desire too. We get it. In this life that's full of sin and hardship and pain and difficulty, some of which we bring on ourselves, what we really desire more than anything is to be restored. We want to be restored spiritually. We want to be restored physically. We have physical problems. We have sickness. We have aches. We have pains and and we, we long for restoration. We, we have problems with maybe coworkers or family members or friends in which we hopefully desire for those things to be restored. So ultimately, what each of us want more than anything is to be restored, that all things will be restored, all things that sin has, has tainted, has messed up. And in this case, whatever they are going through, they are praying for restoration. And I suspect probably every one of us in this room at many times in our life have prayed that God would restore some situation in our life. Maybe God restore my walk with you that has been, that has been messed up because of sin. God restore my relationship with someone in the church. Restore my relationship with a family member, a spouse, a child, whatever it may be. There are lots of times in which restoration is is desired. And where do we receive that restoration? We receive it from God and from God alone. That's what he said at the end of verse 2. Rally your power and come to save us, okay? Who's going to save us from our trouble? Who's going to restore us except for God? And so what's the request? What's the prayer? Look on us with favor and we will be saved. How will we be saved apart from God showing us favor? Well, the answer is we will not. There is no way that we could be saved. There is no way that we would be restored apart from God showing us favor. Now, God certainly showed favor to his people throughout the Old Testament in a variety of ways, but 
Favor in its perfect form comes in Jesus Christ. That is God showing favor on sinners in the most perfect and beautiful way in which he can. And so that's what we desire is that God would save us, that he would rally his power to us, that he would restore us, and that he would show us his favor, which he indeed has through Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Uh, that's, that's an interesting language there, that God is angry with his people's prayers. Uh, perhaps, though, sometimes our prayers are not really from the heart. Perhaps our prayer is not really what it should be. We are not really seeking the Lord the way we should. Perhaps we are praying for things that are not good things for us to be praying for. And so perhaps there are times even for us that God is angry with our prayers. Uh, and that's what the psalmist says here. How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them the bread of tears and gave them a full measure of tears to drink. Now, you can, uh, you can imagine this. You've, you've been in this situation before where there is some situation in your life that is so, that is so difficult that it drives you to tears that you find yourself in tears often, several times a day. Perhaps even as you try to eat, as you mourn, as you weep, as you're broken, whatever is, is bringing these tears on, there are times in our life to which the tears flow so much that they, that they flow to the food that we eat, that they, that they fill up our cups. This is, this, is a, this is a great grief. This is a great time of sorrow and sadness. And we experience such times in our life. And, and, and that's what the language is here. These people are shedding a lot of tears over whatever trouble it is that they have encountered in their life. Verse 6, you make us quarrel with our neighbors. Our enemies make fun of us. Restore us, God of hosts. Look on us with favor and we will be saved. There was certainly a time when some of these enemies of God, our neighbors, we should say, of God's people, uh, probably feared the people of God. They feared God. They, they heard that, hey, they, these people of Israel are coming, and their God is powerful. We don't want to mess with him. But now the tables have turned. Now people, these neighbors who once may have feared the Lord, they no longer fear the Lord. Now it says that they quarrel with their neighbors, and the enemies make fun of them. Now, God certainly has not lost any of his power here. There's nothing uh, wrong with God. God is, it's not that he is not strong enough to overcome uh, these enemies of Israel, but on occasion, God allows his people to go through difficult times to get their attention. And indeed he had, because this psalm is written. If this psalm hadn't been written, then obviously God hadn't gotten their attention. But, but he did get at least, at least one person's attention because they call out to the Lord and say, Lord, we are in a mess. We need you to deliver us. Look at what's going on. We, uh, without you, God, we are nothing. With God on their side, when they walked in obedience to God, what did they do? They went right up in the promised land, and they overtook the enemies that, 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 that would come against them as long as they were obedient to God. But when they are disobedient to God, they find themselves in situations just like this, just like you and I sometimes find ourselves in situations like. And we realize really quickly, oh God, we are in trouble. We are in trouble apart from you. God, we need to come back to your presence. So restore us, forgive us, dear Lord. Uh, 
Restore us, God of hosts. Look on us with favor, and we will be saved. Same, same language we, we saw earlier, a few verses up. Verse 8. You uprooted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade, and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out sprouts toward the sea and shoots toward the river. Now, here we have this, this, this symbolic language here. This is speaking of Israel. Uh, it, it uses the, the symbolism of a, of a vine. It's been uprooted from one place and been planted in another place, and it has flourished in that place. And so God's people were in Egypt, and God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Uh, just as we see here, you cleared a place for us. Okay, so what did God do? He helped drive out the enemies that were the inhabitants that were in the land because he was giving that land to his people. And they took root in that land and they flourished. What does it say? The mountains were covered by its shade. That is, the vine, it grew. It was, it was just everything. In all directions, it says, uh, it, it, its, its branches uh, made shade uh, for, the, for, for the mountains. Uh, it sent out sprouts toward the sea in every direction, the Mediterranean Sea and the river, uh, perhaps the Jordan River or the Euphrates River, uh, from, from east to west and in all directions. When God planted his people there in that promised land, they flourished and took root and became a mighty, wonderful, powerful nation that, 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 that lived in and dwelt in that whole area. Verse 12. Why have you broken down its walls? Okay, so things were good for a while when God had brought them in and, and rooted them down. And when they were rooted in God, they were strong and mighty. But they were no longer rooted in God in this situation. And we see this often throughout the Old Testament. Many times we see God's people uproot themselves from the Lord and try to become rooted in some idols or some other, other crazy stuff that they would get involved in. And when you, when you cut the root from the source of life, what happens? You, you die. You cannot live apart from the source of life. And so it's true for us. So long as we are rooted in God and the Word of God, then we will grow. We will flourish. We will live. But when we are un, unrooted, disconnected from the source of, of power and strength, well, we find ourselves in the same situation as these Israelites did. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? The boar from the forest tears it, and creatures of the field feed on it. Return, God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine. The root, your right hand is planted. The shoot you made strong for yourself. It was cut down and burned up. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. So a place that was once blessed by God, God's people, protected by God, now the protection is gone. The barrier is gone. The wall is torn down. A people who were once blessed by God, now what does it say? All who pass by pick its fruit, or pick the grape. Some translations may say something along those lines. So, so what once was a blessing for God's people to be protected, to be provided for, now the, those they were protected from make uh, fun of them. Now, now there is no protection. Now th the blessing that they had, the enemy could come in and just take it because they are in a 
bad place. And so what's, what's the request here? Return, God of hosts, look down on us. We are the vine that you have planted, that you have, that you have rooted. But God, we are in a bad shape. Listen to the language. It says it was cut down and burned up. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Now, now that's a vine that is in a bad shape. But even a vine in a bad shape is not beyond repair. It's not beyond being saved. If that was the case, then the psalmist here would have said, all right, well, this is it, God. We, we've been cut down. We've been burned up. We, we're perishing. What other hope is there? But the psalmist knew even as bad a state as they were in, he knew that God was good. And so he continues to call out to God, look, God, even as bad a shape as we, your vine, are in, God, restore us in this time. Verse 17, let your hand be with the man of your right hand, with the son of man you have made strong for yourself. Now, that's a difficult verse to know exactly who that is speaking of there. Uh, some have suggested that it's speaking of Israel, and that may be, that may be true, that, that the man of his right hand is simply another way of saying, God, be with your people. Uh, with the Son of Man, uh, you have made strong for yourself. Uh, some have said, no, this is certainly a reference to the Messiah. Perhaps it is both. Perhaps it is, it is some other meaning there. Uh, I don't think either of those meanings uh, would give us any trouble in reading that. The request here is that God would restore his people. And so uh, if the man at the right hand of God is simply another way of saying, God, restore your people, uh, well, there's no trouble there. If we also say, hey, look, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, this is also pointing us forward to the better restoration that comes through Jesus, uh, well, then that certainly could be the case too. If you recall, when you read through the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man quite frequently. That's actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, either Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself or one of his favorites is close to the top of his list because he often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so this certainly could be a reference to Jesus. And, and maybe the, the, the scripture that comes after this would, would also support that as well because it says, then we will not turn from you. Well, when? When? Well, it says, when your hand be with the man at your right hand, with the Son of Man you have made strong for yourself. When, when this occurs, when the hand of God is with this man, whether it's representative of Israel or Jesus or both, when this occurs, that is the hand of God, brings deliverance through whatever form that he does it, and ultimately he does it through Jesus Christ. When God brings about deliverance, because there is no one else to bring about deliverance, when God brings about deliverance to his people, then... We will not turn away from you. So God, deliver us again. Now, this is a prayer that Israel has wore out. They have wore this prayer out. Go back and read the book of Judges. Every time they get themselves in trouble because of sin, and they say, God, one more time, would you get us out of this trouble? And what does God do? He sends them a judge, and he gets them out of trouble. And guess what they do? They do the same thing that me and you do. We sin again. And then we say one more time, God, get us out of trouble. Then we will not turn from you. God, one more time, if you get me out this one more time, I'll never do this again. But then what do we do? We do it again. So maybe that's not a good prayer for us to say. 
Maybe we need to be mindful, okay, that we're sinners and we're probably going to sin again. Not that we somehow justify our sin as acceptable. We certainly want to strive not to. But the prayer is, God, we need you, right? In our time of need, we seek God as much as we can. Okay, so God, when you deliver us, then we will not turn from you. And listen to this, revive us and we will call on your name. So it's kind of like a chicken and an egg situation, right? You call on God to get revived, but then you get revived uh, when we call on your name. Uh, so, so what happens first? Is it that God revives us or is it we call on God? Well, it's, it's both. We, we can't be revived uh, unless we call on the name of God. And we can't call on the name of God unless we're revived. So both, both things are true. But the psalmist here says, revive us and we will call on your name. So when we realize that we are in a bad shape in a place of sin, there really is nothing else we can say other than God restore us, God revive us, God make our heart whole, God renew us, God transform us, God make within us a new heart that desires to praise you. And it really takes God transforming our heart, reviving our heart, restoring our heart, and God has to do that work. Now, we certainly can call out to God, and we should call out to God, but it's when God works that our heart is really revived, and we begin to call out to God all the more, and God continues to revive our heart, and we call out to Him, and it's a beautiful process. Uh, but God is at work when we seek Him, and we need to seek Him and call out to Him. Verse 19, again, Restore us, Yahweh, the God of hosts. Look on us with favor and we will be saved. We see that theme running through here, this idea of restoration. And who is the restorer? It is God. He is the one who is the perfect restorer. I watch YouTube videos sometimes of these different groups that restore cars, and there's lots of them, big-name people or, or whole organizations. And, and, man, some of them, some people want their car restored, and they pick this person, and they pick that person. Oh, I like the way he does it, or oh, I like the way they do it. But when it comes to restoration with cars, there may be many who are good, but when it comes to the restoration of our soul, there is only one who is capable of the job, and that is God through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so the prayer is, God, we are sinners, and we are in trouble. Restore us Look on us with favor, and we will be saved. That prayer is good for anybody in any generation, because anybody in any generation is a sinner. Anybody in any generation will find themselves in times of trouble. But what do we do in those times? Hopefully we call out to God and say, God, restore us, because only you can. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for this good word, and I pray that you would help us to take it with us when we leave, dear Lord, that we will not forget it. God, I pray that you would help us tonight to be restored. Maybe there are some in this room that do not know Jesus Christ. God, maybe they have never been restored to start with. I pray tonight, God, maybe that if your Holy Spirit speaking to them, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and seek you tonight. I ask for forgiveness of their sins, dear Lord. Maybe there are some tonight, and they are your children, just as the people of Israel were. But God, perhaps we are not rooted as well as we should be. God, perhaps our vine appears to be cut off and 
burned up tonight. And that's a bad, bad feeling. That's a bad place to be. That's where your people were and this word and God, sadly, sometimes that is where we are. But God, if we find ourselves there tonight, I pray that you would bring restoration to us through Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.